entering the Freedom Hut. A melee at our southern border has people asking, when are Democrats going to finally admit that we need border security? Looks like it's not going to be anytime soon. The shutdown continues. We'll get into that. Plus, Mitt Romney with a shot across the bow of the Trump administration in an op-ed. What is Mitt thinking? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Just almost at 3 a.m. in the morning, about 150 undocumented migrants quite violently engaged our border patrol agents. They uh, breached uh, the border fence there. They were uh, in a higher ground uh, based on, you know, just the layout of the area there. They were up upon a hill just over on the other side of that fence, uh, moving women and children ahead of them, uh, wrapped in blankets, trying to uh, bring them over concertina wire that we had laid beyond the fence on the U.S. side, and as our Border Patrol agents went down to try to not just apprehend the women and children, but assist them so that they would not be uh, injured by the wire, uh, the migrants on the other side began hurling rocks uh, and throwing uh, rocks at our agents and also putting the migrants uh, at, uh, at peril as well. That's when they deployed the non-lethal uses of force, uh, dispersed that group, and ultimately most of them did head back into Mexico. About two dozen or so were ultimately apprehended by our agents. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. I am back. I am so happy to be here with you after a break. We'll talk more about this later on in the show. I, w- I want to get right to it. I missed you all, but I missed doing this show. So let, let me not stand on ceremony. There you had uh, Customs and Border Patrol uh, Deputy Commissioner Robert per- uh, Perez saying, look, what happened right around Christmas time, uh, what happened at the border was a multi-pronged incident, a, a, a an effort to... Oh, no, I'm sorry. On, on New Year's Day, I said Christmas, right around New Year's. Not Christmas. Uh, this coordinated effort to overrun a sector of our southern border to assault police officers and to engage in this kind of aggressive lawlessness. You know, those who say it's not an invasion, I just want to know... What do you call a coordinated breach of a law enforcement barrier using projectiles and uh, you know various tactics of of uh, disorientation against our law enforcement officers? What do we call that? Does anyone anyone have any any idea? It's not showing up at a port of entry and saying, "Hey, I'd, I'd like to be an American." It's not that. It's certainly not going through our legal immigration process and showing your respect for this country. You know, one of the important things about being an immigrant is showing that you respect the laws of this country you want to become a part of. And if you want to become a part of the American family, that's great. There's a right way to do it, though. And only one political party cares at all about this anymore. I mean, the Democrats have abandoned. They are they are complete frauds when it comes to border security. Outright frauds. And Trump has done the right thing by pushing us into this shutdown. At least we're now having the fight. At least we're going to have this debate publicly. And we can see what a bunch of scheming, lying, hypocritical hyenas 
Pelosi and Schumer and the rest of the open borders Democrat gang really are. That the reporting on this, of course, focused on how these migrants were exposed to tear gas. Oh, they're exposed to tear gas. How could anyone do anything so terrible? I'm, I'm glad that uh, Border Patrol aid, agent Rodney Scott wasn't going to just sit there and, and let this get said about the men, of border, men and women of Border Patrol who are doing a difficult job and a very necessary one. Play clip two. Our agents responded with the least amount of force they possibly could to protect themselves in the border and did actually secure the border in this area. Uh, one agent was hit in a square in the face with a rock. Luckily, he had his helmet and shield on uh, and was not seriously injured. But the violence associated with this caravan just continues. What would the open borders, cowardly leftist Dems like our Border Patrol to do? You know, I, I would like to ask them. I mean, I would like to put them maybe through through an experiment here. Uh, what do they think would happen if if a, a normal American, any American anywhere in the country, walked you know uh, twenty or thirty paces away from just a, a a cop, any law enforcement officer, and threw a rock, you know, a good big a big chunk of stone at the face of that law enforcement officer. Does anyone think that that person would get, first of all, a lot worse than tear gas? I mean, if that officer uh, catches up to that person and has, you know, their their baton out, I mean, they're going to go to work, and rightfully so. This person's obviously now a threat trying to hurt you. So if you close that distance between them and, and you know, the, between the, the, the rock thrower and the officer, you know, the officer's got to take care of that threat. You get hit in the face with a rock, could knock you out, knock your teeth out, disfigure you, give you a concussion, could kill you. It could kill you. And think of the mentality of people who want to come into America and would take an action against our law enforcement officers on the border that no American in his right mind would ever do on U.S. soil. You know, I, I know I know a lot a lot of folks out there that you know have all kinds of different ideologies and, and notions about you know how they should interact with the cops, and I can tell you this: no no one thinks that they're going to be able to throw a rock at a cop without there being consequences. You know, nobody thinks that that's a situation that should be allowed should be allowed to happen. I mean, just think of that mentality, and yet you know here we are. Um, here we are with people that are trying to cross at our southern border, throwing rocks at officers and showing such blatant, just gross disrespect for our men and women in uniform. I, I like to remind you of this because I don't think it gets nearly enough play. About a third of Border Patrol is uh, comprised of veterans. Uh, a, a big percentage of Border Patrol are actually minority and particularly Latino American. And these are the people on the front lines who are getting rocks thrown at them, who are being told that who are being told that they're, they're responsible for, you know, killing, killing children at the border because they uh, they're faced with this inundation. I mean, this this flood of people and this all stretches back to Obama and Democrat activists and the left. Promoting this idea of, yeah, you know, come, come to the border, come to the border. Here's how, here's when. Yeah, Obama, sure. He said, we don't come to the border. And then he made sure that they would come to the border. 
Don't come to the border, but I'm going to make sure if you get here, you can stay. Don't come to the border, but, you know, if you do get here, your the rest of your family gets to stay, too. You know, we'll do DACA, we'll do DAPA, we'll do all these different executive authority-based programs. Forget about the law, forget about Congress, the Constitution. Democrats want this. They want this. And you know that there's a problem because they won't own up to the fact that this is what they want. They can't be honest with the American people about where they stand on the border. Tom Homan, who was ICE, uh, acting ICE director, I've talked to him numerous times about, about all these issues. You know, he, he's somebody who, who really gets it on what we need to do. I mean, the, the border is in a crisis right now. We are, having, uh, we are having riots at our southern border of people who claim they want to come into this country. And notice how they're trying to overrun certain areas. Almost like you can have a more secure or less secure border based upon the resources and, yes, the physical barriers present in that area. But Homan had this to say about this, uh, the rock throwing. He knows there's going to be more, and he knows it's going to get worse. Play three. These illegal aliens are throwing stones. Every, you know, I think uh, the use of tear gas is a minimum use force necessary to protect themselves. I mean, and it's, it's, and it's going to happen again. This is the second time it's happened. It's going to happen again. There's chaos on that border, which the Democrats don't seem to grasp. And meanwhile, the president is trying to get a fix to the border. Democrats offer nothing. I mean, they say the border was ineffective, a border barrier. And if you look at the data, the data speaks for itself. Every place they built a barrier, illegal immigration has decreased. That's a fact. Every place they built that 100 effective and as far as the cost of the wall they will be offset quickly in the, in the amount of money we will save in immigration detention immigration courts the the cost of social social services to illegal aliens in this country and their u.s citizen born children if you look at the cost of illegal immigration it's over 100 billion dollars a year that is a fraction of what this, uh, the president's asking for so i i truly believe the democratic leadership understands this but they're putting their political ambitions their hatred for this Trump administration. They don't want to give this president a win at the expense of the safety of the American people. I, I truly believe that. I think everything that Tom's saying there is is accurate. And I would add to it. Democrats see this as the only issue they have to win on, and then they win on all the other issues. This illegal immigration is their pathway to a permanent political majority their pathway to a one-party state in this country. And that means that it takes precedence over everything else. How, how else can you explain how we spend so much time arguing with Democrats over the rights of people who aren't even Americans, who aren't even supposed to be here? You know, the, the, the Democrats, oh, man, they, they just, all they want to talk about is illegal aliens, how we need to do more for illegal aliens, bring more in. Don't call them illegal aliens. Call them undocumented. DACA, DABA, all these different programs. This is their, their primary focus. You know, not, not dealing with the debt and deficit, not veteran homelessness, not you know, re- reforming our, our health care delivery systems in meaningful ways. You know, none of that. No, nothing that's going to affect Americans. They, they are first and foremost concerned with what they can do to help non-Americans. And they wonder why there's a backlash against the elites. They wonder why we don't really trust them. And Homan's point, one that I make regularly on this show, and it's important because, you know, I need to say it. And I think a lot of you need to hear it because the mainstream media is just making it up as they go along on this. Walls work. Of course they work. 
you are being lied to. And I know you know it, but it's easy to get numb to it. It's easy to become numb over time to the media's misrepresentations, to the falsehoods that they peddle about immigration, most notably on the effectiveness of a wall. You just you keep hearing it. And, you know, look, I, I find myself occasionally I'll just blurt out. Yeah. What are we doing about the undocumented? Oh, my gosh. Did I just say that? It's not that I want to. It's that they say it. They keep repeating it. The mere repetition, the propaganda has an effect. And they keep telling you a wall doesn't work. After a while, you start to think, well, I, I, I guess there must be a question about walls work. Bull crap. Walls work, obviously. And here's the, the fear the Democrats have. The American people, at least a strong majority of us, you know, the, the 60 or 70 percent of us who at least can still be reasonable on some issues, right? You know, about half of us are reasonable on most issues, Republicans. And then there's maybe about 60 to 65 percent of us who, when it's really clear, we still can. But unfortunately, there's, you know, 30 to 40 percent of the country is just wacko on their politics. Just they've bought all this nonsense and we're never going to be able to bring them back into reality. But for those of us that do operate in reality and want to be want to be correct, it's not that we want to be right. Oh, I was right. I was right. No, no. I want to be correct. I want the positions that I'm supporting to be the ones that have the out that bring the outcomes that I want, that have the intended effect. And a wall would be one of the great slapdowns of a Democrat lie of all time, because they once once it's up, then the numbers won't lie. You know, once it's up, we'll see that they've just been they've been clowning themselves on this one because there's both a a a thirst for power that drives a lot of this. They know if they keep the border open, they keep this issue for reasons of identity politics and enlarging the state and pulling us apart as a as a American community that has, you know, shared values when it comes to respect for rule of law. And they're excited by all that. And they're also concerned, not concerned that this is going to keep going. They love that it's happening. They're concerned that we may actually be able to end this scam. Because that's when the accountability kicks in, when we see how they've been lying all along. And this is why the, the fight right now, the shutdown, this is necessary. This has to happen. You know I wanted it to happen. When I thought Trump wasn't going through with it, those of you who listen to the show know I was, you know what, off about it. I was mad. And the president's going, to, he's going to the mat of this one and he's fighting. I hope he stays. I hope he does not cave. I'm still worried that he will. But so far, i got to give credit where it's due. And he is fighting this fight. And man, it is going to get uglier and uglier in the days ahead. I mean, they are going to do everything they can because from their from the left's perspective, the Democrats, if they can hold Trump off on this one, if they can withstand the pressure and finally have Republicans walk away with nothing. We're talking about $5 billion. I mean, this should be easy, right? Walk away with nothing. It will just create a momentum for all of the most anti-Trump lunatics going into the investigations and the hearings and the over all the stuff that we know is coming. I mean, this year, man, I'm glad I have all of you because this year is going to be, it's going to be rough (laughs) in that regard. We're going to be playing, we're going to be playing a lot of defense, a lot of, a lot of shields high for real coming up this year. So get ready for it. Uh, we got a lot more show. It is so good to be back here with you. I honestly missed it, and uh, I'm not going anywhere for a long time. So uh, stick with me. I'll be right back. 
It's so ridiculous. This is a system that we have, and nobody pointed it out until we came along. So you end up in a court case to tell somebody. Normally, it's like, hey, you're on our land. We don't want you, and you have to come through legally. Get out. No. We catch. We do paperwork. We bring them to court. You can never have enough judges because you're talking about thousands, tens of thousands of people. You end up in trials. But the trials don't take place because what they have to do, because it's impossible to hold all of it. This is by law. This is by these idiotic laws given to us by, largely by the Democrats, mostly by the Democrats, that we can change in one hour if people got together. These laws that Trump is talking about, the immigration laws, he's right. They're dumb. They're not working. They are invitations to abuse and bureaucratic inertia and fraud. And he's totally right, which is why a wall is just one step, a necessary one, but one step toward dealing with our legal immigration problem. One step in the process. You know, we also need a more streamlined uh, process to deal with those who want asylum. We need to clamp down on all the fraud that goes on in people saying that they have a credible fear for just being, you know, Honduran. We need to get E-Verify. We need workplace enforcement. We need to uh, end sanctuary cities. I mean, there's this whole laundry list of very important things. And that's why I I just think, you know, if we can't get the wall, you start to wonder, what's the point? I mean, if we can't even get that front line, you know, this is like saying, I want I want you to have a secure home. Let's put a lock on your front door. That doesn't mean I don't want a security system. I don't want you to, you know, have a weapon for home defense, preferably a firearm, maybe a shotgun, depends on what you want. You know, I want you to have all those things, too. But let's start with a lock on your door, right? The wall is the lock on the door. If we can't get that, you have to wonder what do we even do about the rest of it? That's why this issue is so important. And yes, it is worth a shutdown. I'll get more into that. And I'll also talk about this Romney-Trump feud. I don't find it as interesting. I think the media is going to, you know, this is just a, a chance for them to trash Trump. So, oh, look, a Republican doesn't like Trump. I'll give you some, some of my thoughts on that. There is an interesting foreign policy angle to it that I think you'll definitely want to hear. And then uh, I've got a big third hour coming to tell you about the whole vacation, so. Well, instead of 12 days of Christmas, we've had, including today, 12 days of a government shutdown. He is desperate because he fears the Mueller investigation. This serves as a distraction and gins up a base that, frankly, Chris, doesn't like the federal government anyway. They could care less, his base could care less if the government is open. But think about this in terms of this wall. We just celebrated Christmas, or at least tried to, Federal workers, I was reading online, Time Magazine did a piece. Some federal workers who aren't getting paychecks are having to return their Christmas gifts. Okay, having to seek second jobs. Get ready for it. An endless stream of shutdown emotion theater is coming your way. You are going to hear all kinds of new stories about you know, how this family couldn't, you know, this family, because one of them or, you know, the head of households, a federal government employee couldn't get this mortgage they applied for. That family, you know, uh, couldn't afford little Timmy's braces, you know, all these things. And I, I understand. I, I get it. You get it, too. That stinks. Um, but I also know, you know, and so I, I feel for those people. And I, I don't mean to, I'm not mocking their problems. I'm just saying the media is going to exploit their problems right now. The media is going to exploit the 
the gap in in pay. And I would also note that, you know, we don't have to live in a, in a country or rather we don't necessarily live in a country where we should expect that if you work for the federal government, you are essentially unfireable and never miss a paycheck, which is the that is the expectation. I mean, I, you're not entirely you know you can't break the law. I mean, there's some. But generally, if you get a federal government job, you expect to have it for life and never miss a paycheck, a pay period, which is not a luxury that the rest of the workforce gets at all. And I have been to, uh, you know, been to offices on many a day where a lot of my friends and colleagues were told, you no longer have a paycheck and you longer you no longer have health care. And I've been there for those conversations. I've been there when that happened. That is not fun. I've been there when I'm told I no longer have a job. So, you know, there, there are limits, I think, to how far people's sympathy here will go. Uh, for those folks who are, that doesn't mean there should be no sympathy. I'm not trying to be, you know, a, a, a Grinch jerk here, but they're going to really play this game hard. The Democrats are going to just try to make this all about a sob story. And and I would offer this as the shutdown showdown continues on. There are very real economic and security and safety reasons why we need a more secure border. This is not without major cost, without major consequence. Um, There are people who are losing their lives because the federal government cannot secure the border effectively. Um, You know, there, there was this incident that just happened with Police Corporal Ronald Singh over the break. I mean, just heartbreaking. And what we find out is that Gustavo Perez Arriaga was in the country illegally, had previous arrests, and is now in custody you know, for allegedly killing this Corporal Ronald Singh in, in California after a two-day-long manhunt. Now, there are a lot of reasons that this is uh, enraging. Uh, one of them is that Immigration and Customs Enforcement says that they have had no contact with this illegal immigrant okay they have had no contact with them how is that possible well it's only possible because of the sanctuary city policy of the state of california as well as all the cities of california that tries to actively stymie i mean tries to prevent law enforcement from effectively doing their jobs that's what's going on here that is why you could have somebody like this who's this I mean this guy is a criminal this guy is a, pr- a criminal and by the way I'm I'm happy to see that seven other people have been charged with aiding this guy this scum Perez Ariaga for killing uh uh Corporal Singh you know I mean here we have it's such an interesting story isn't it? you have Corporal Singh a a legal immigrant uh to this country he immigrated from Fiji Always dreamed of becoming a police officer. He had a five-month-old son. And he joined the police force in Newman, California in 2011. I mean, this guy, this, you know, this is who we want in the country. You know, I, I, want Corp- I want Corporal Sings. I want people that obey the law, that take real responsibility for themselves, their communities, into their hands, that want to contribute, that want to be great Americans. I do not want... Perez Ariaga, who's in the country illegally with a long rap sheet and now is a murderer. 
Okay, that, that's who we don't want. And that's why a wall is so important. Now, I, I bring this up because, yes, federal government employees in this shutdown are, are hurt, hurting, and I get that. But 70,000-plus people a year are dying, dying from opioid overdoses that are primarily uh, that are primarily supplied by these drug cartels. How many thousands of people have been in the last five years assaulted, raped, murdered, been hit by you know a, a, a drunk driver, illegal, all from Ill- illegal aliens in the country? How many thousands of people have suffered? life-altering or life-ending incidents because of illegal aliens in the country. Uh, You know, once you start, you know, this is what governance is all about. It's about making difficult decisions. It's about weighing the benefits and the costs of different policies. This idea that somehow we're going to be able to get a border wall with an intransigent, open borders, radical, left-wing Democrat party without a real fight is, is a fantasy. They want the status quo to continue. They want a border that allows people who are not criminal masterminds, far from it, to be deported and get back into the country five, six, seven, ten times. Who knows? They want sanctuary city policies to continue. Only in this area, only in this area of our law is there such a clear and obvious double standard. In fact, if you look at you know, California is a really interesting case, and I'll talk more about uh, Victor Davis Hanson later on this hour in, in an article that I read that he wrote. I, I, I'll talk to you about it. But how, you know, California is essentially this hyper nanny state with all kinds of regulations and, and environmental protections and everything. But if you go into illegal immigrant communities, you're, you're, you're able, you know, they're, they're, people are able to have all kinds of trash on their lawn, they're able to park you know, campers in their backyard that don't have a permit. You know, all that stuff goes out the window. All that stuff all of a sudden is, ah, you know, we can't really enforce that, you know, because we're not we're not going to burden this community with the crazy laws or even the sensible laws of, you know, the rest of California. I mean, there there are there's a two track legal system in place for illegal immigrants for their benefit. And the, the whole situation needs to be reassessed and looked at again. Um, I'll, I'll have more for you on this right after the break, though. Stay with me. The wall is effective. It's a crucial part of any kind of border security. Typical argument we hear from Democrats that it doesn't make sense. It's too expensive. It's medieval. Well, you know, I'd like to hear some reasoning behind that. It's not too expensive. It's 0.1% of our entire federal budget. 0.1% is what we're talking about. That's what $5 billion ends up being. So it's really not about the money for them. What the president's not willing to compromise on are the outcomes. I think he's willing to negotiate inputs, whether it's more or less wall, more or less fencing or slats or drones or technology. What he's not going to compromise on is the safety of the American family or the protection of the American economy that's needed by ensuring that we don't just have flows and flows of illegal immigration with no ability to manage it or ensure that it is economically beneficial to American citizens. Mm -hmm. So, look, I know who the president is negotiating for. I don't really know who Democrats are negotiating well, for. Let me I mean, get in are they really Pelosi's negotiating clear. for illegal immigrants? 
During the final days of Republican control of the House of Representatives, we passed a plan that would have kept the government open and would have prioritized the safety, security, and economic well-being of American citizens. So if Nancy and Pelosi and Democrats really believe in border security, if they want to make sure that we are a nation of laws, I'm eager to see their plan. Yeah, what are the Democrats really angling for here? You know, it's worth asking that question. Sure, they they oppose Trump because they just have to, in their eyes, oppose everything Trump does, right? Hashtag resistance. Okay. But the argument doesn't hold up. The argument they're making is nonsensical. First of all, as we know, Democrats before this, the only issue that they ever wanted to cut any spending on was the military, which is one of the few things the federal government does that it really needs to do, and it's the only thing that can do it. So military spending, they're willing to cut. But when it comes to securing our border, then all of a sudden, we find ourselves in this position where the Democrats are cost conscious. They're they're pinching pennies uh, when it comes to the border. that, That doesn't make any sense. This is not a hard people today. I had a representative from the federal government. Uh, federal government employee union come on on rising and i, I asked her she, she i don't think she was particularly fond of me i told her i used to work for the federal government that didn't help uh i was an essential employee so i was funded didn't matter i didn't have to worry about these things um but i i told her that or i asked her rather you know why should we even have unions representing the federal government workforce and she looked at me like that was like i had three heads like i was some space alien and i said you know that at the dawn of unions in this country, no less than than FDR was like, I mean, public sector unions, that would be crazy. We don't need that. That's just going to uh, be essentially a, a legalized form of, uh, of political theft, you know, corruption and theft from the taxpayer. And that's what it is, by the way. That's why you have so many states and municipalities that can't balance, they can't balance their budgets because of the, uh, the, 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 the reality of these, public sector unions that especially when it comes to benefits and pension plans that's where the real that's where the real juice is uh they just put as much into them as they possibly can it helps democrats get elected and it creates this self-looking ice cream cone of tax tax the taxpayer more and take more money for you know whether it's teachers or firemen or whomever and then they organize and those unions push for those democrats and it just keeps going around and around and around that's why we don't want this but you know, I understand that there are federal government employees that are being negatively affected by this, putting aside the union point for a moment. They're being uh, negatively impacted, and that's that's uh, unfortunate. You know, they didn't do anything wrong, and many of them are doing their jobs, uh, you know, honorably, even valiantly in the case of, say, Border Patrol, and, and not getting paid on time or not getting their full pay. And I, I believe they will get back pay, but there's there's some some issues here. I mean, the, the federal government spends you know, trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars. And we're now going to be we're, we're being told that this five billion dollars for the border is too much. Sure, the president has taken responsibility for the shutdown. I, I know that that's um, that's something that is being repeated on all the different news broadcasts. And it's true. The pre- he said it. I mean, I can't. 
unsay something on the president's behalf. I can't say that he did not make a very clear statement of I am responsible, not me. Well, that would be kind of cool. Buck Sexton shut down the government. No, no. President Trump is responsible for the shutdown. But the shutdown is happening. You know, you get you get down to how can you be responsible for this when all you're really saying is go with what the House bill is. Fund this uh, fund this effort to secure the border with a wall. As I've said to you, I mean, the it's not just that they don't want to give in to Trump, although that's I'd say 60 or 70 percent of why they don't want because they, they just can't give Trump the win. They can't let Trump keep faith with his base and deliver. I mean, he's already keeping faith with his base by fighting. But if he delivers on this promise of the wall, then we're in a whole then we're in a whole different territory. Uh, in terms of 2020 and, and the president's prospects for reelection, I, mean, I think he's a lock. He is ironclad if he manages to get this wall built in part even. But then there's the other component, which is if they if they start to build a wall in, you know, they, they can do it the way we have it at the San Ysidro port of entry. By the way, you know, Tijuana had a few thousand, uh, Tijuana, as you've told me, many of you listen to the show tell me, stop saying Tijuana, Tijuana had uh, over 2,000 murders last year. I think it was approaching 3,000. Um, has more murders than like the top 10 U.S. cities combined. One one Mexican city last year. Uh, it's a lot of rough stuff going on over there. The drug war going on in, in Tijuana and in the, in the Baja Peninsula. But I digress. Uh, they could build a wall in one sector where there's a high level of legal crossings where there is road access and an urban or semi-urban area that really needs a a wall to short up. And then when they would be able to show us in three or six or nine months, whatever it is, after that barrier goes up, the precipitous drop in illegal crossings, which includes human smuggling, drug smuggling, all the other things that the other criminal activity that's around illegal crossings of the border. Then what's the Democrat argument? We're not going to spend money on this because we don't want the border to be secure. Because that's the truth of it. They don't want the border to be secure. They want the illegals to keep pouring in. They know that it puts pressure on the GOP. They know that the demographic realities of the United States are being shifted in dramatic and rapid fashion toward a permanent Democrat Party majority. And this is not not surprising at all that immigrants, never mind the identity politics that the left plays with anybody that's considered non you know, a non-white or a, uh, what is it, white non-Hispanic, right? Anyone who's not a white non-Hispanic. And then also the needs that people have for state assistance. And that's just going to keep going up and up and up. And there's only one political party that has, has no qualms at all about being the party of big government and a big state, and that is the Democratic Party. So they win on this. I would just note that there's a, an excellent uh, Victor Davis Hansen piece. You guys, you guys all know that I really like VDH, but uh, you know he, he wrote on, on California, and it's really by the numbers. And I think I, I think it's a new piece. I don't think it's an old one that I saw. Um, but he, he just says that this place is maybe it was an old piece I saw. Well, he, he lays it out. And he writes about California all the time. He's just saying it's you know it's it's turning into like a Latin a Latin American. Uh, stratified society, Latin American in the sense that it's similar to Brazil or any of these countries where the wealth gap is enormous, enormous. 
uh, between the rich and the poor, and the poor completely dependent on the largesse of the rich, and there's no middle class. That's what's happening in California. But all right, we, we got to talk about this Romney-Trump feud that dominated the uh, headlines today. Uh, I'll give you my important take on that coming up. You do not have to be subject to the whims of those big left-wing email providers. You can actually join an email system that is all about protecting you and no liberal agenda nonsense. That's iPatriots.us. iPatriots.us is a new conservative alternative to liberal-based email systems, and it's secure, private, and includes more of what you want without all the ads and spam. You see, with iPatriots, you get 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and a whole lot more. And by the way, iPatriots.us isn't going to sell your information, and it's not going to support liberal agenda items like a lot of those other big free email providers out there show you're a patriot go to ipatriots.us now choose your membership program and input your desired ipatriots email address during checkout enter promo code buck for 10 percent savings during your first year of membership again go to ipatriots.us enter promo code buck for 10 percent off your first year there's plenty of evidence that Mr. Trump is a con man, a fake. He's playing the members of the American public for suckers. He gets a free ride to the White House, and all we get is a lousy hat. Mitt is a failed candidate. He failed. He failed horribly. That was a race that absolutely should have been won, and I don't know what happened to him. He creates scapegoats of Muslims and Mexican immigrants. He calls for the use of torture. This is the very brand of anger that has led other nations into the abyss. Poor Mitt Romney. Poor Mitt. I mean, I have a store that's worth more money than he is. Donald Trump is a phony, a fraud. His promises are as worthless as a degree from Trump University. And he walks like a penguin onto the stage. You ever seen like a penguin? So Mitt Romney and Donald Trump are not BFF. Fine. We, we, we don't need them to be. We don't care. That doesn't really matter. Mitt Romney and Donald Trump don't have to get along. They don't have to like each other. But they are supposed to be playing for the same team. They are supposed to be aligned when it comes to policy and implementing a conservative vision for the United States. And quite honestly, saving this country from falling into the progressive abyss from which it will never recover. That's what they should be united on. And Mitt Romney just won this Senate race out in Utah. And I won't try to psychoanalyze too much what what really motivates Mitt at this point, other than, you know, he ran for president. He was governor of Massachusetts. Now he's going to be a senator from Utah. I mean, you know, America doesn't need Mitt Romney. I, look, I think Mitt Romney would have been, I'm, I'm on record for this, I think he would have been a good president, a lot better than Obama. I think he's a, I think he's an, a pretty ethical guy. He's obviously led an admirable family life, and he's been successful in business. You know, I think there's a lot about, he's, he's smart. I think there's a lot about Mitt Romney that's good. He's great on immigration, by the way, and I'm not going to just abandon that because right now he's interfered with Trump. Mitt was good on immigration back in 2012. Mitt was a big E-Verify guy. Look, these are just facts. Mitt was the self-deportation guy. He knows. He knows. Because he actually has an understanding of wages and business and and how a balance sheet works that, yeah, it it hurts low-wage workers to have just to have all this unskilled, non-English speaking labor dumped on the country. You know, and it hurts the taxpayer too. He knows this. 
Anybody knows this who thinks about it, even though there are all these think tanks, there's this huge open borders industrial complex that uh, that is telling so much, so many lies. I and mean, one of my favorites is, oh, well, immigrants just add to GDP. Yeah, that's like saying, you know, more bodies in your house means more mouths to feed. So you're going to have to buy more food. OK, sure. But is that a good thing? What, what about? Yeah, GDP is good in that there's more stuff going on. But what is the downside of that added GDP? What are we paying out in tax dollars? What does it mean for our social and political fabric and for the assimilation processes we have? Oh, it just adds to GDP. As you know, this gets me very fired up, and I don't want to go too deep down this this rabbit hole. But Mitt was good on immigration, but he is bad on Trump, as you just heard there. And his first major public act, here it is, January 1st, this is published, uh, the first day of the new year. And so this was planned in advance, and Mitt is... Look, I think Mitt's running. Let's just get right to it. Let, let's call it what it is. I think Mitt is trying to prepare the groundwork for, you know, for him to run as a, a primary challenger against Trump. And he'll just he'll get he'll get crushed. And if he doesn't get crushed, and let's just say that he runs a runs some third party candidacy, you know, goes kind of the Ross Perot angle. He's just going to hand the presidency to the Democrats. Is that is that really you know, you, you start to wonder at what point. Do the results just not matter to the never Trumpers because they're so in love with their own sense of righteousness and and their need to be right? At at what point is it clear that the results just don't matter to them? And when I say results, I'm talking about things like, do you want want people that are going to be telling your 10-year-old that he or she is not a he or she, but should be able to take hormone therapy before they're even hitting puberty? And have that mandated in, in schools as, as federal policy? You, you want people who think that we're all going to be better off if we just give more money to uh, welfare programs and more money to the states in order to spend how they see fit? You know, take more money. You think we're all going to be better off? You know, uh, does, do issues of life matter or not? Do we want abortion extremists appointed to the Supreme Court and running state legislatures? You know, th- these things matter. There are consequences here. It's not just, oh, well, you know, we need, to, we need to clear out the GOP. We need a cleansing of the GOP. I've heard Republicans say this, prominent ones. They've told me. I look at them and say, uh, you, you think that the way to win the battle is to lose it? That's your grand plan? Man, no, no wonder Obama had eight years in office. But Mitt Romney's first act is to write this, uh, write this op-ed and he was, as we all know, the 2012 nominee. And I was, I was supportive of him in 2012. I was a, a, a Mitt Romney supporter, no question about it. I thought he, I thought he just annihilated Obama in the first presidential debate. And then Candy Crowley uh, threw herself in front of Obama, precious Obama, to protect him in that second debate and kind of turn the tide for him. Uh, and, and was wrong, by the way, and, and not just wrong to do so, but wrong in how she did it, meaning she was wrong on the facts. But, you know, the, the, the op-ed that Mitt Romney has written here, I, just, I want to pull it apart a little bit. Um, I want to pull it apart a little bit. And here's what it says. Quote, the Trump presidency made a deep descent in December. First of all, too much alliteration. He needs to tell the staff members that wrote this. Calm down with, with the triple D here. A deep descent in December. The departures of Defense Secretary Jim Mattis and White House Chief of Staff John Kelly 
the appointment of senior persons of lesser experience, the abandonment of allies who fight beside us, and the president's thoughtless claim that America has long been a sucker in world affairs all defined his presidency down. It is well known that Donald Trump was not my choice to the Republican presidential nomination, blah, 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 blah. And he goes in. And then I saw these other appointments. They're good. Okay, let, let's just stop here for a moment. Notice how the establishment GOP, what, what really it seems has set them off is Trump's deviation from their prescribed foreign policy. You know, what, what really is just too much for them to handle is this idea that Trump does not have to play by the foreign policy rules that they have set out, you know, that he does not have to approach this as they would. Now, there's a lot to this. One is that the the elite GOP types, uh, they they think of foreign policy as a realm where they they separate themselves intellectually and experientially from the hoi polloi. You need to be a certain kind of Republican to be a you know well traveled and and worldly enough to really understand the ins and outs of foreign policy. Uh, you know, meanwhile, I'd much rather hear from people who have served in the war zones and really know the ground truth about what's going on in Iraq and Afghanistan than all these very arrogant neocon think tank types who just keep saying that what we're doing is working when it's not working. It's not working. Afghanistan, it is not working. Okay, and we could talk more about Iraq. I, I think the Iraqis, you know, here, here's something you, you've heard here. I should probably mark this down as a prediction. You, everyone's acting like, oh, with Iraq, it's all about what the U.S. wants to do. I think the Iraqis are going to kick us out in the not too distant future. They want us out. This is what people are saying. This is why it's not South Korea. This is why it's not Germany. They don't want us there. They actually want us to leave. You know, in the Iraqi parliament, all, all the idiots that were, by the way, I was getting so many people yelling me about, about Syria, and, and you know, I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. But all, all these people, they don't, they don't know the first thing about what's going on in Iraq. They don't know how many Sadrists, meaning supporters of Maktada al-Sadr, there are in the Iraqi parliament. Sadr was a guy that we should have taken out with a JDAM a decade ago. I mean, he's a really bad dude with a lot of American soldiers' blood on his hands. And and his par, his party within the Iraqi system. So, you know, it is the most powerful party right now in the parliament in terms of seats. You know, this is what never gets discussed, though. This reality of, oh, Romney and these other GOP folks that they act like they understand these things so well. They've made a mess, a mess of the Middle East for decades, for decades, for as long as I've been, you know, out of college. These guys have just been mucking things up left and right. And it's just interesting that that this is what sets them off, that Trump is deviating from them on foreign policy, because I think that deep down there's a real concern that the Bush era elite GOP folks, um, the you know, the advisors and the so and the so-called experts, they don't want everyone to realize how poorly they acquitted themselves when they were when they were in power. I mean, it's, it goes to that question. Obama was a disaster. Obama's foreign policy can just be described as unserious. I mean, this is not what people that understand the world would do. Um, and that's true of his advisors. It's true of his approach to Iran. It's true of his dithering on Syria. You know, Obama just had the ability to sit back, do nothing, and have the media call him brilliant because he's so contemplative. It was a joke. But the Bush people, you know, the, the neoconservative types, you know, RIP Weekly Standard, they do not have a good record on this stuff. 
And I think they're particularly touchy about it because they don't want there to be a full accounting for just how wrong they've been. But then Romney goes into, you know, let, let me, I'm going to come back to this side. We'll do more of this Romney op-ed and, and I'll, I'll explain where I am on this. And uh, I, I think it's important. Some of this dominated the news cycle. The border to me and the wall is so much more important than this feud with Romney and Trump. But it does illustrate some interesting dynamics in the GOP. We'll be right back with this. Mitt Romney's a freshman senator, so I'm not sure he's only a top Republican because he was once the nominee and lost. Uh, the, I think 80 or 85 percent of the party supports Trump. Uh, I think I'm, I'm not sure what Mitt Romney's trying to accomplish. Well, I wish Mitt could be more of a team player. You know, I'm surprised he did it this quickly. I was expecting something, but I was surprised he did it this quickly. And, you know, look, uh, I endorsed him. He thanked me very profusely. It was very nice. Uh, but I am surprised because we've done a lot. And he actually says it. I read his op-ed. He said it. That, you know, he agrees. And I don't think he would be able. I don't think anybody would have been able to do the tax cuts like I did. We got the greatest tax cuts ever. There's a very important little point that President Trump slipped in there about Mitt Romney after he comes out metaphorically guns blazing with this op-ed. And it's that Romney sought Trump's endorsement. So, so just so we are all clear, Romney uh, trashes Trump when Trump is running and then asks Trump for what we believe the secretary of state job when Trump wins and then asks Trump for his endorsement and wants his endorsement when he's running for Senate in Utah. And now his first thing is he comes out and trashes Trump. You know, a lot of this op-ed, I haven't gotten to this part of it yet, this op-ed that Romney or his staff wrote. And it's the typical politician boilerplate about, you know, our allies and our standing in the world and blah, blah, blah. This stuff has no real meaning. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't tell you anything. America should be good. Thanks. I guess you I guess you've solved all the riddles. You know, America should not be bad. Thank you. We, we understand. What does that mean? But the part of this that I find so interesting is Romney really focuses in on how character is essential, how character is such an important defining characteristic for the presidency. And, you know, he even says that in the in the title, here, the president shapes the, the public character of the nation. Trump's character falls short. What kind of character does somebody have who has no loyalty to those whom he asks f for favors and for help? You know, one of the reasons why there have been plenty of times where I could have and look, it, it probably has hurt my career that I don't go after people more, including on my own side. It probably, you know, I, I would get more attention, which this business is obsessed with attention. If I would just the moment, you know, I think somebody's down and vulnerable that, you know, I don't particularly like in this business. I give them a kick or even if I do like them, I just know that, you know, I'm, I'm going to pile on when they're at their weakest. But I as I say to you, I don't. It, for me, it's a question of honor. I don't trash friends on air, and I also don't trash people that have uh, have been allies of mine. You know, I, I believe in personal. I believe in personal loyalty over professional advancement. So, what does what does Mitt think he's doing here when he asks Trump for jobs, asks Trump for help? I know he'd probably say, "Oh, well, I would I would be serving the American people at the pleasure of the president." And you know, Mitt clearly has a very high opinion of himself, and I don't think it's completely without merit. I think I do think he's talented. I'm not going to pretend that I'm some Mitt hater. I'm not a Mitt hater. I I wish he had been president. I I 
early in my career was pushing for Mitt to to beat Obama, but it just was. Ne- I mean, it was never going to happen. It's just the Obama phenomenon, I, I, and with the media just running running cover for him in every way, and, and the deck was so stacked against Romney. You know, I, I think he did. People now say, "Oh, he did a terrible job. He's a bad candidate." I think he actually did a pretty pretty decent job, all things considered. I mean, go, go back and watch that first debate. It was, you know, it, it's why I realize debates don't matter all that much because Obama just was was smacked around by Romney on that stage. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Uh, so, but th- this idea of character, I, I also, I have a disagreement with a lot of, of my fellow conservatives, including conservatives I really like and that I really respect, you know, people at, uh, you know, National Review and people that I used to work with even at The Blaze who are very anti-Trump and r- really think that his character is truly deficient. I, I don't, I don't refute their specific criticisms of the president. I think that would be foolish. I mean, I, I don't think that it's unfair to say that pleas- the president flies off the handle and, and over-personalizes things and can be petty and all that. I, I think that's just objective reality in a lot of cases. That said, I also don't take my moral cues from the president of the United States, and I haven't in a long time. This is a guy doing a job. That's it. I don't view this as, oh, you know, my my children need to emulate the president of the United States. Because was that the case under Clinton? Was that the case under Nixon? Johnson? JFK? LBJ? Well, I guess I already said Johnson. Never mind, you add... People like Woodrow Wilson in the mix. And then you're like, oh, Woodrow Wilson, former president of the United States. Huge racist. I mean, real racist. I mean, you know, supporting the Klan, thinking people of different skin color are less than racist racist. Like the the real kind of worst racist. Was the president of the United States. There's a big building named after him at Princeton. A whole school named after him at Princeton for international relations, no less. You know, Mr. League of Nations. That worked out great. So I I don't I don't uh, agree with this idea that the president is this kind of moral leader first. And I also think that and this is where Romney really loses people. All of a sudden, we're supposed to care that Europeans don't really like him. You know, he brought this up, you know, in in this Pew Research poll, how people 84 percent of people used to think in Germany, Britain, France, Sweden, the American president would do the right thing. And now it's only 16 percent. Here's what Trump said about that. Play 14. When they say I'm not popular in Europe, I shouldn't be popular in Europe. If I was popular in Europe, I wouldn't be doing my job because I want Europe to pay. I don't care about Europe. I'm not elected by Europeans. I'm elected by Americans. They had presidents and other people within administrations in the past that allowed them to get away. Like some of them would say, well, no one ever asked us to pay. We have negotiations going on with numerous countries right now you know, is it, to pay a lot Trump's, of money. Trump's to, essential point here is why the heck should he care what the European populations think about him? He's not the president of Europe. He's the president of America. This is a revolutionary concept in this country, apparently. Here's one of these stories that as soon as I read it, I think to myself, this should get 10 times the attention that it will, but for... A whole bunch of reasons that I'm about to go into, it will be largely glossed over or ignored. And it ties into to many things that we're discussing right now. It ties into the fifth columnist Republicans who do the work of the left from inside the party and pretend that it's because they're so moral and so ethical. But as we've discussed with Romney, it's really just all about advancing their own very narrow, very immediate self-interests. 
You know, they, they decide that they're so worthy and decent and honorable when it's useful for them to bash Trump. But sometimes they don't need to bash Trump, so then they don't really care. I mean, you know, they go back and forth on this. It's not really about maintaining or enforcing a set of principles. It's just opportunism masquerading as being principled. And let me say before I get into this, and I know I'm, I'm keeping you on the edge here with what this news story is. It's important. It's it's big. Uh, let me say that, you know, the the elites and especially the elites within the GOP, because that's still a thing. They're still there. They're still behind the scenes and still involved very much. They're just not openly running things the way they were before Trump came along. Um, they think and Romney among them that they have to remind us of President Trump's ethical and personal failings as if we don't know. And there's a lot of condescension in that. I know about Trump's failings, okay? I know about the three wives, and I know about the porn star payoffs, and I know about all, you know, whether you believe he did that or not, and, you know, I kind of go back and forth on some of the aspects of that, but, uh, you know, clearly this was a guy who was a a philanderer, and, you know, I I, I get all that. And look, no no one is perfect, and that shouldn't be, you know, you you don't want to say that, well, you know, you know, Saddam Hussein, nobody's perfect, and that can't just be a catch-all that you use for everything, but... And we're not talking about somebody who did unpardonable and, and horrific, uh, you know, murderous things. We're talking about a guy that you know, he's, he's imperfect. He's a playboy. And I think that we but we all know this. And that's why when the when the Romneys of the GOP come forward and say this to us, it's as though they think we need to be told that because we're either so much less principled than them that we need to be scolded into caring or that maybe we just are so out of out of touch, out of the loop that we don't know? Well, I would just like to assure Romney and the rest that we know. We know about the allegations and the realities of Trump's failings. It's that we also know that we want somebody who can serve an agenda that will benefit the American people, and that is a righteous and just agenda, effectively. And that means that you got to be able to engage in the messy, nasty game of politics. Okay, uh, I Here's speaking of all that. This was on Fox News today. An associate of the late Arizona Republican Senator John McCain shared with BuzzFeed News a copy of the unverified salacious opposition research dossier alleging that Russians had compromising material on President Trump, according to a federal court filing earlier today. Now, McCain had on numerous occasions denied being the source for BuzzFeed. Remember, BuzzFeed was the first one. CNN reported on the existence of the dossier. BuzzFeed actually published the dossier. And now there are court cases about the legality of BuzzFeed's decision to do that. Uh, Because as we know, there were some falsehoods in there, Michael Cohen traveling to Prague and others. And this is is the PP dossier. I mean, this is the golden showers, the president of the United States. It's just, look, I don't know how else to describe it. I got to tell you what it is. I know, I look at it, I know it's gross, but this is disgraceful that this was briefed. I mean, if I were still in the CIA and I found out that the DNI or the FBI director had taken some oppo Hillary Clinton DNC paid for oppo research document full of, you know, third hand garbage Russian sourcing and briefed it to the president of the United States in, in what was essentially a blackmail operation. I mean, remember, Comey wanted to keep his job, right? So Comey presents this to Trump, one, to suck up to him a little bit, 
but also, you know, because he got to be the one to break the news to him, but also to let him know, but we've got this on you, you know, we, this is out there. And then CNN somehow knew about this and was able to report on how it was briefed, and it was essentially a, a, a form of laundering the dossier. Well, what we find out today from, and we only found out about it because of this court filing, is that associates of John McCain, associates of John McCain, uh, one in particular, this guy Kramer, uh, allegedly passed along the dossier to the media. Now, McCain, uh, John McCain, passed it on to the FBI which you can decide for yourself whether that was wise or necessary uh, under the circumstances. I mean, remember, this is just this is essentially a collection. This is a collection of rumors. There's no verification, no sourcing, no nothing on it. And a lot of it has actually been disproven or is unable to be proven, which in this case should be taken as nearly the same thing. And now we're being told that a McCabe associate, I mean, sorry, a uh, McCain associate, was the one who made sure that the media had this to to run with against Trump. We have we have to deal with friendly fire in the GOP in a way that Democrats just don't. And it's really pathetic. You know, we, we have to, as conservatives, as Republicans, we always have to be ready for yet another person from within our own rank, ranks to just shank a fellow Republican when nobody's looking with an editorial, with a TV news appearance, uh, or, or in this case, you know, behind the scenes, just to do it when nobody's looking. And Democrats just don't have this the same way. I mean, yes, you could you could say that you know with Hillary and with Hillary and Bernie, uh, that was unfair. But but they weren't they weren't destroying Bernie's political career, always and forever. They just wanted Hillary to win. Now, I'm not saying that justifies it, but it's different. This was spite. This isn't. Somebody trying to run. Yeah, people run hard against candidates because they want to win races. This is somebody on my own team, a Republican, is the only person that's going to prevent Hillary Clinton from appointing a whole bunch of Ruth Bader Ginsburg clones to the Supreme Court. The only person is going to save us from another eight years of Democrat misrule. And this is John McCain's people, and I'm sure with John McCain's full knowledge and, and consent, uh, passing along damaging oppo research to, to just to just to smear trump and i know they're gonna say oh it's it's for uh you know it's for the country it's for patriotism that's why you know and john mccain oh, always because of military service were supposed to say everything that he did was was great no i i refuse to play that game his military service was great and honorable what he does after that fair game for us to talk about and he did a lot of things that were really just about him was really just about sticking his thumb in the eye of those who were overshadowing the greatness of John McCain from within his own party. There's no question that the Russians are a problem. We've known this a long time. The Russian government is not a friend of the United States, and there are very real concerns that we should all share about what the Russians are trying to do vis-a-vis Americans and American interests. You know, I don't get nearly as energized as many on the left do about all things Russia, because for them, it's just a it's gotten tied up in this whole narrative of why Hillary didn't win. And it's because Russia stole the election and all this other nonsense, this this fantasy that they have concocted. But that doesn't mean that there is no problem with Russia. And we've seen 
yet another instance of this where an American who was in Russia uh, to attend a wedding, an American named uh, Paul uh, Whalen, who's a U.S. citizen, is now being held by the Russian uh, government. He's being held in uh, Lefertovo prison, which, as I understand, is a pretty hellish place. And he just got a visit. Well, he got a visit from uh, U.S. ambassador to Russia, uh, John Huntsman. And the ambassador saying, look, we're going to get our guy out. I mean, this is I'm, I'm sure it's all nonsense. And the Russians are just doing this just because this is just a Russian thing to do. They like to rub our noses and things. They like to uh, cause problems where there are no problems. And obviously, the lie about people, the lie about this man's activities. Um, and, you know, I don't know why they chose to grab him, uh, but they've clearly grabbed this guy. And, you know, it's it's one of these moments where you. You got to remember that one part of us that, you know, that, that should feel like we're all united in is we, we want the U.S. government. When you're traveling abroad, you want the U.S. government to really go to bat for you and go to bat for its people. Uh, and, you know, and when you're dealing with countries like Russia and China, you know, we've got leverage, but we don't we don't get to dictate to them. We have to coax, cajole, bargain, negotiate, you know, threaten a little bit, but it's it's not an easy dance. Um, and I, I certainly hope that we're able to get this guy Whalen out of prison soon. His brother, David Whalen, wrote on Twitter that, uh, quote, my brother was detained by the Russian government as an alleged spy. And, you know, I, and it's just Whalen was a Marine Corps. So not only we've got an American that's being held, but a Marine Corps uh, vet. He was in the Marine Corps from 1994 to 2008, deployed to Iraq twice, was a staff sergeant, and uh, he was discharged for bad conduct on charges related to larceny, it says. But hey, look, he served his country, and, um, you know, this just in no way, in no way does this strike me as anything other than the Russians trying to thumb their nose at us. They, they grabbed this guy. You know, just because I know that seems so weird. Why were the Russians ran on the grab? They just decided to grab somebody and they're holding him um, on on BS on BS allegations and CNN. You'd think, though, you know, and this is what it would really got me all fired up. Uh, you think that here here we got an American, a former Marine. I know he was dishonorably discharged, but, you know, he's a former Marine deployed to Iraq twice. All right. The guy made some mistakes, but he also served his country. And, you know, he wore the uniform and. You know, carried a rifle and showed up, you know, showed up for his country when it mattered. Uh, you know, he 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 should expect that the the journalists, right, the same journalists who are always like, oh, my gosh, it's so scary to be a journalist now. And, oh, Trump is destroying the First Amendment. And, oh, you know, they're always whining about something Trump related and they're always looking for solidarity with each other. Oh, you know, Trump is destroying journalism. You think that when there's an American being held unjustly in Russia, there would ju- the, the focus would just be on telling the story and letting the American people know what's going on, but also that we need to keep an eye on this and pressure our government representatives to get our guy back. You know, we, we, we want our guy back. This We're not dealing with North Korea here, okay? You know, we don't expect the Russian regime to act like total psychopaths, although sometimes they can. And yet CNN, I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. CNN decided to to poke it. They've got this guy's brother on TV, and they ask, I can't, you know what, I just want you to hear it. Remember, this guy's being held in a prison. Who knows if he's ever going to see U.S. soil, see his family again? Who knows if he's going to 
you know, face the same fate as uh, you know some of the other folks that the Russians have decided to go after. And they've just, you know, they look, people get beaten to death in Russian prisons. They get stabbed and the Russians say, oh, we had no idea. I mean, terrible things happen in Russian prisons all the time. And CNN decides to ask the brother of this detained American former Marine about social media posts about CNN. Play it. He had this social media account, the equivalent in Russia of Facebook. It's called VK. And he's had it for 13 years. And he had various postings on there, pictures of him in Russia. Um, I think the first one that we have is where he took like sort of a rest and relaxation. Well, here's one. I wasn't planning to go to this one yet, but let's talk about this one. Here's one um, where he says, just drinking coffee and watching fake news. Now, I'm not taking this personally. Um, that he's pictured with CNN, but I just am wondering, is is this a statement on his part somehow? What the heck does that have to do with anything? This guy is in a Russian prison on trumped-up nonsense charges, you know, about being a, a, an alleged spy, complete, complete crap. And, you know, who, his family must be absolutely horrified, terrified. And his brother is on with CNN, the gold standard in TV journalism, which is a joke. And you have a CNN anchor saying, well, I'd really like to know, uh, you know, here I am standing in front, your brother standing in front of a photo calling CNN fake news. Did he call CNN fake news? You know what? There's a lot of fake news on CNN. CNN is a lie. CNN is a lie. Let's start from that. It is not an objective news organization, period, full stop. It's all about laundering liberalism for people who are pathetically attached to this idea that they just their version of events, their version of the news is just the truth. It's just objective journalism. It's not left wing propaganda. And CNN still tries to operate in this this ground that is a lie. It it tries to hold this position on the news spectrum that is just no longer tenable. But think about this. The story is this. They're going to ask about about whether he called CNN fake news. Does that mean that they don't want to tell his story anymore? Does that mean that now we don't have an American being held by Russian thugs that we need to be concerned about because because he said a mean thing about CNN? Is that what we should take away from this? I just want to know why this overpaid pompous CNN anchor is is pushing on this issue to his brother i mean i just put myself in this guy's shoes if one of my brothers god forbid i've got two brothers two of the greatest guys you'd ever meet if one of my brothers was being held by a foreign power and i was being interviewed in my capacity as a as a family member of somebody detained by that foreign power and 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 cnn was like well is it is it true that you wrote that cnn is fake news i mean i'd probably start dropping F-bombs on live air, you know, I mean, how dare you? And this is why people, this is why people don't trust, they don't trust CNN, they don't like CNN, only people that still, that, that for their own purposes, so that they feel smart, so that they feel like they're, you know, part of the elite in cool set, you know, oh yeah, CNN, that's real journalism, yeah, really? Yeah, Don Lemon is a real journalist, you idiot. You know, bro Cuomo, hey, do I live, bro? You know, he's a real journalist. He's the biggest draw they have right now for ratings. I mean, I give him credit. He somehow pulled off this. 
I don't I don't know. There's this swindle into thinking the people that into convincing people that they should watch this guy as, as some kind of a source for news. I don't know. Um, but yeah, CNN, we got an American former Marine detained and CNN wants to know if he committed the unpardonable sin of calling CNN fake news on his Russian social media account. Wow. It's a new year and you want to do things the smart way, right? For your business, for whatever positions you need to hire. That's why you need ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter, unlike other job sites, finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. If you love this show, show your support for it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Some of my best colleagues at The Hill we found using my ZipRecruiter account. Start a free one of your own. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. There we go. Um, I'm glad for everybody who's joining this video. It's great to hear from you. Hold on a sec. I'm going to get me um, a beer. My husband, Bruce, is now in here. Um, you want a beer? No, I'll pass on the beer for now. You sure? Okay, okay. stay along with us. Yes. So, okay. this is my sweetie. Hello. Um, he's the best. And I'm crazy. Uh, I love you, too. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. I'm glad you're here. Enjoy your beer. So, who have we got here so far um, that I can see? Uh, Gabmar, good to see you. Oh, gosh, yeah. Who do we have here? It's brutal, folks. It's brutal. Elizabeth Warren has, you know, put out this this little video of her just, I'm just going to get me a beer because I'm just like you. I'm just a, a brewski drinking American, and I, I have no baggage that I bring to this whole thing at all. It's all great. Oh, man, she has kicked off her presidential campaign she's one of the earlier ones here to throw her her hat in the ring so to speak and uh, and everyone's looking at this and they're just saying wow she's she, she i just think she has no chance I, I don't know why she's wasting her time and everyone else's time maybe it's necessary for her to uh, feel like she's still relevant in some way you know it's even though she knows she can't win She's going to have some kind of an ill-fated presidential campaign because she figures, you know, might as well go for it. But just this is someone who does not have the ability to easily uh, connect with average Americans because she's someone who's built a career on uh, fraud, really, uh, which is what took place at Harvard. I mean, people that say that she's some great intellectual, they always say, well, it's because she was a professor at Harvard. Well, she was only a professor at Harvard because she claimed to be a minority Native American professor. And as we found out from her one 1,024th Native American DNA result, uh, she's not in, not in any meaningful way Native American. And I can just say that I, I think the, the president has, uh, ha- has it nailed here when he says, well, this is what he said about Elizabeth Warren running play clip eight. 
Elizabeth Warren will be the first. She did very badly in uh, proving that she was of Indian heritage. That didn't work out too well. You know, we'll see how she does. I, I wish her well. I hope she does well. I'd love to run against her. She says she's in the fight all the way, Mr. President. Do you, do you really think she believes she can win? Well, that I don't know. You'd have to ask her psychiatrist. Yeah, I, I don't even think she believes she can win, but there are lots of reasons people run for the presidency, even when they know that they have, they have no shot. The biggest, most obvious and unnecessary own goal I think I've ever seen in, in American politics was the fiasco of her of her DNA results. I've never seen anything like that. Nobody was there was no clamor for the results. Nobody was pushing to hear or see the results. And whomever, I, I think it should be made public record, whomever on her advisory staff or whatever it is, uh, wh- whoever told her that that's a good idea, that, that person, it should be known so that nobody ever takes political. Actually, no, forget that. We, we want as many Democrats as possible to listen to that person. That's, that's a much better way uh, to go about this. That's a much better way forward. So we'll see what ends up happening with Elizabeth Warren. I, also, I saw this guy... Who is it in uh, Washington State? The governor of Washington State is uh, is going to be running for president. He also put his he put Jay Inslee. He put his name. I had never even heard of this guy. I always think it's funny. People say, Buck, you cover politics. How could you not have heard of, you know, state assemblyman so and so or or even congressman so and so? I'm like, there's a lot of these people and most of them are not particularly relevant or important. Uh, Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington state is going to be running. And this is what I think is, is so fascinating. He's a single, a single focus candidate, according to, uh, the, the press reports out on him already. He's somebody who, uh, who really believes that there's only one thing that we have to pay attention to, or one thing you should pay attention to and, and why you should vote for him. And who wants, who wants to guess what it is? Is it the $22 trillion in debt that we've piled up? Is it that uh, America is, as I've started to read in a book by Charles Murray, coming apart, uh, coming apart? We no longer have a shared culture between the various political ideologies. And we also actively are encouraged to hate each other for our political differences by the media, by the elites. Uh, No, it's none of those things. That's right. The single issue focus of his campaign of Washington State Governor Jay Inslee's campaign will be climate change ah oh, yes climate change uh, it, it really is an amazing state of affairs when you can have one political party in this country that takes the position that the single most important issue that we face the most important thing of all is something that the other side does not even concede is a, a little bit important you know just just a just a tad important uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, because that's what I would say. Yeah, the climate is changing. The climate has always been changing. Is, uh, you know, is humanity playing a role in this? Is is human behavior involved in some way in, in uh, accelerating climate change? Maybe. But as I say, it, it's the same. You'd get the same answer for me if, if I said, uh, you know, if I walked into Yankee Stadium, or let's do a covered state. If I walked into Dallas Cowboys Stadium, have I changed the temperature of the stadium? I mean, theoretically, it's it's imperceptible, right? But my body heat, I, I am another person in that stadium. And, 
and depends on, I guess, on, on how, how effectively and at what level you could gauge the, you know, th- th- that's what I mean. You know, ha- have you changed the temperature of a swimming pool by pouring, you know, a cup of hot tea into one end? Kind of, but not really. Uh, have human beings changed the temperature of the globe in a meaningful way? I, I think the answer is most certainly no. Anyway, I don't even have to get into all that right now because the other side is just nuts. Looney Tunes. Here's Bernie Sanders, and I'll read it to you in Sander, Sandernese. We must look at climate change as if it were a devastating military attack against the United States and the entire planet, and we must respond accordingly. End quote. He, he put that out on Twitter last night. We should respond to climate change as if it were a devastating military attack. I don't know if, if he thinks that we need to uh, nuke the climate or if we're supposed to uh, unleash our B-1 bombers on the coal industry. I, I don't even know what he thinks he's trying to say. And this got thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of likes and retweets. And people just think it's 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 brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And, and then you have that that complete fraudster who's going to be making a big comeback this year. That fraudster known as Al Gore. Uh, he's back and he's trying to push once again for, well, his his favorite pet issue. He was on The Daily Show. Uh, here, I'll, I'll play it for you. There's an interesting report that came out last month uh, from the U.N., and in many ways, I feel like Trump is using this as his argument. Um, it basically predicted, you know, hell on earth, and it talked about how things are really going bad. But, but the emissions gap was really interesting. That was released yesterday yeah, right, yeah. by the United Nations. Yeah. And what they said is the G20 countries are collectively not on track to meet their unconditional right. emissions <laughs> pledges for 2030. So right. countries that are not on track to make it include Argentina, Australia, Canada, um, the EU28, Korea, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, and the U.S., right? Yeah, and the EU. Right. Yeah. So now Trump is arguing if nobody else is meeting their requirements, why should the U.S. put themselves at a disadvantage and, you know, lose money and work with regulations yes, when the rest question. of the world is not going to come to the table? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, since the end of World War II, there's been one leader of the community of nations, and that has been the United States of America. If we abdicate our leadership role, then that lets some of the other countries off the hook. What is really needed is the reassertion of U.S. leadership. And the the good news is we have the solutions available. We don't need any miraculous new technological breakthroughs. If you've got one, fine, we'll take it. But we already it's just the same. It's the same crap from this guy. Different day, Uh, nothing changes. Uh, This is the biggest. This is the biggest scam uh, ever. Go back and just you don't have to take my word for it. Go back and watch uh, an inconvenient truth, and you'll be like, this is laughable. The thing and, and look at the, the date and timestamps of these different models they have of, you know, what, you know, Florida underwater by you know, 2030 or whatever it is. I mean, go back and look at this. The predictions in that movie are laughable. And now we know they're laughable, but we're still supposed to think that this is going to happen and they're right. I, I don't know what it is that it's going to take for people to finally give up this uh, this this delusion. I mean, the, the climate change alarmists are living in a delusion and there's a lot of. They always talk about how everyone's uh, everyone's been bought off by big coal. Think about green energy uh, or big oil, big coal, big oil, whatever. Same thing. Um, Think about the Democrat platform going forward. I mean, they're they're going to be running on a green energy new deal. I mean, they really talk about this. They're trying to bring back 
FDR, who they love, even though he put the Japanese in internment camps. I mean, FDR somehow gets a pass for being, in a lot of ways, a pretty terrible president. But uh, they, they want to bring this back and make this the centerpiece of the Democrats going forward. It's going to be all these jobs. And you want to talk about cronyism and crony capitalism. Green energy is rife with that crap. And if the Democrats come back into power, a lot of people are going to be very wealthy by making you pay more for your energy while they get sweetheart deals, not by the free market, but by the government. I don't know what your New Year's resolution is, but I've got one for you. Start drinking the best coffee you can find anywhere. I drink it every day myself. I love Black Rifle. I've got a box of Freedom Blend sitting right next to me as I do this radio show. And I not only go for the roast beans, I'm also a K-Cup guy. Join Black Rifle's Coffee Club. You can get it in three, six, or 12-month prepaid or pay-as-you-go subscriptions. So if you didn't get somebody a gift you should have for the holidays, guess what? It's never too late to give the gift of delicious coffee and freedom. Black Rifle's Coffee Club makes things easy. Just pick your blend, the amount you want, and then Black Rifle will ship coffee to your door every month, hassle-free. You never have to think about this or worry about it again. For the best-tasting, most energizing, most patriotic coffee imaginable, you want Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com buck. Both parties are scrambling, and we can see that by the fact that there's been a lot of names floated. None of them have been really solid or really pushed by any one sort of party. Both parties are sent scrambling in this issue. Yes, that uh, congressional district that we are talking about does is the most Democratic district in the whole state of Connecticut, or I'm sorry, Republican yeah. in the state of Connecticut. But there's more independent voters than voters that are affiliated with any party. So either party is going to have to work really hard in order to get people's votes in that district. And I think, you know, that you're so right when you bring up the that's point just that- a, a clip that we wanted to pull up uh, of of Brie Payton doing what she was known to do, which is be a, a writer and a TV talking head, pundit, analyst. Uh, she was a, a contributor at The Federalist a website. Those of you who listen to the show know pretty well because uh, I go back quite a ways with the founder, Ben Dominich, and with Sean Davis. And uh, so, you know, The Federalist. Well, Brie, who was one of their not just star writers, but was increasingly uh, a visible national presence on Fox News and in other and other places. She was a frequent guest on my panel on on Hill TV. Uh, Brie passed away, as I'm sure many of you uh, listening to this heard. It, it became a, a a national news story that this incredibly uh, kind, smart very beautiful uh, 26 year old conservative rising star uh, just died uh, died in a, a very short period of time from what they believe is swine flu and I wasn't even aware that swine flu was something we still had to be on guard for it, it just this news uh, came as a shock I know it's been out there for a while but I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it yet uh, this came down on uh, on my birthday I remembered I went from receiving a slew of texts from friends, colleagues, family members, but but friends and colleagues in the morning saying happy birthday to all of a sudden there was a shift and my phone uh, all day was people trying to get the news to me of first that Bree was in dire straits in the hospital and then that she had actually passed away. I saw 
uh, a, a notification on Twitter that they were asking for thoughts. And one of her, her friends was asking for thoughts and prayers for Bree. And within 30 minutes, I saw uh, another another notification that she had passed away. And uh, it was, it, it, look, it rattled me. Uh, it rattled a lot of people that I know. She was in very good health. Uh, last time I saw her, uh, I was with Molly and Bree and her boyfriend. Uh, he came up and, and introduced himself to me. It was quite a, quite a moment because he had actually been, uh, Bree's longtime boyfriend had been an intern at the Blaze TV on my show on Real News there. So he knew me a bit through that. And we had met each other, uh, you know, maybe, gosh, five or six years ago now when he was an intern. And uh, Molly and I had talked about meeting up for them with dinner. Uh, or meeting up uh, with them for dinner. And uh, now she's gone. I'm I'm not somebody who pretends to have the words in situations like this. I know I, I speak for a living and this is, I'm a radio host. It's strange for me to say I don't have the words. But when someone who is that much of a uh, positive presence in so many lives, uh, who is making all the all the right decisions, has nothing but bright future ahead of her and so much upside and just so much to contribute in every way. I don't just mean to professionally, but in day-to-day life. And Brie was a really sweet, really good person uh, and a a very uh, Christian person, uh, a a believer and somebody who really practiced her faith. And for someone like that to be taken from us, uh, to be taken out of my my world here in D.C., just as a colleague of hers, I, I can't imagine uh, the sense of loss and, and grief that her family has. Her, she has many siblings uh, that her boyfriend has, uh, that her close friends and and people that have known her for many, many years feel. And, and I, I don't have any anything, uh, in, you know, certainly don't have anything to make this seem any less terrible and tragic than it is. All I can say is that we are all on uh, borrowed time. Uh, we don't know when it's coming. We don't know how it's going to come, but we will all we will all meet our end. And, and it's, it's a, I took it as a real wake-up call. Um, and, and the fact that it occurred on my birthday, obviously, was just coincidental, but I think already I was in a contemplative mood and you know, thinking about what, I've, what I haven't achieved so far. And I... I I know a lot of you probably have the same thing. I tend to be more negative on myself, more uh, hard on myself for what I haven't done yet than what I have done. And I was thinking about I'm 37 and, you know, I need to do this and do that. And then I realized I got these messages about Brie and I just thought the stuff that I'm wearing, it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is you know who you are every day that you have and how you treat the people around you how uh, loving and loyal and dependable and uh, and kind you are to the people that you are dealing with, that you're interacting with, that are your people every day, and what you do in the world and how you decide to spend your energy and your time, that's what matters. Yeah, sure, we all, we all want success. We all want recognition and, and all these different things. But we also don't know if we're ever going to just fall into a uh, high-grade fever and then a coma and then die one day. And it can, ha- I mean, if it happened to breathe in this way, it's just a reminder that it can happen to absolutely any of us. 
anyone listening to this, me, you, anyone, you just don't know. I mean, she was with family on Christmas and with friends the next day and everything was fine. And then she probably went to sleep feeling a little off and had never would have thought in a million years that it was swine flu and then woke up the next day or maybe never woke up the next day. She was unresponsive when her roommate found her. So cherish every moment you have. I really mean that. Um, think about what you're doing with your life right now, what you're doing every day, and focus more on how you contribute than you know, how you could achieve more personalized goals. You know, Who are you? Are you making the world around you better every day? Um, and Bree, uh, you are missed. So you may be asking yourself, well, what did you do, Buck, over this holiday break? Actually, none of you are asking that, but let's just pretend for a second. Let, let's just assume for a moment that maybe some of you care. I, I hope you all had a had a great time. Uh, the most unexpected gift that I got was actually from our friends at Black Rifle Coffee. They sent me a huge, really a, a, a war chest of, of Black Rifle goodies of all kinds. Um, so blackriflecoffee.com slash buck if you want to go get some for yourself. But I, I mean, I, I mean an actual large Black Rifle wooden chest. They sent it to me as a Christmas gift. Those guys are awesome. So, so kind of them, and it was one of the nicest gifts I've gotten in a long time. Uh, as to what I did with my time, uh, for those who are curious about that, I read a lot. Uh, I slept a lot. I read a lot. And the, the books that I, I read two books in their entirety. Uh, one is a history, because obviously I, I tend to try to read a history book, a political or philosophy book, and then a general interest book at any given time. And the history book that I, so I'm somebody who does multiple books at once, meaning I do chapter by chapter of different things. I read The Sea Wolves by Lars Brownworth, which if you are in any way a fan of the show Vikings on the History Channel, or if you are a fan of The Last Kingdom, I am Uhtred, son of Uhtred, uh, you will be very into this book. It's it's essentially a, a much more detailed history uh, of that same period of the uh, Viking invasion of not just England, but Ireland and uh, the uh, kingdoms of northern Germany and what was going on in that part of the world. And just some, some really interesting perspective on that. Also worth noting that the this idea that the Vikings were this invincible army and would always beat everybody they fought, it's, it's really not the case. In fact, well-armed Saxon kingdoms were very able to uh, confront and even sometimes defeat these Vikings. The the real advantage the Vikings had was speed and mobility based on their ships and their seamanship. And they, you know, if you look at a map of England, for example, we don't think of it this way, but England has rivers that essentially make much of even inland uh, England proper accessible by the sea, uh, certainly accessible by any narrow draft uh, water vessel. And so the Vikings were able to, for the, at the time, with lightning speed, hit different areas, and they would go after soft targets. And the Vikings are really just a, it was a culture of, uh, of piracy. It was really a, a whole society built on piracy. And when you think of them more as pirates, like, with the big wooden shield and the and the axe and all that stuff. And, and they had better quality iron as well, um, which is obviously helpful for hand-to-hand combat uh, back in the day. But the book that I, 
I really enjoyed a whole lot that I wasn't necessarily thinking I'd like as much as I did uh, was by Tom Wright. And the, the book is The Billion Dollar Whale. And it is, uh, you, you got to read it. I mean, this is about this guy, Joe Lowe, who managed to completely uh, hoodwink some of the most sophisticated banks, investors, financial institutions in the world. And this guy is uh, in his late in late 20s when he's doing this. He essentially uses social connections to set up a phony baloney sovereign wealth fund in Malaysia, use some Saudi contacts and then throw a bunch of big parties. Next thing you know, this guy's hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio, Jamie Foxx, going on dates with Miranda Kerr, bought her $8 million of jewelry. She's the Australian supermodel, for those of you who don't know, used to be married to Orlando Bloom. And this guy funds the movie The Wolf of Wall Street with the ill-gotten proceeds of this Malaysian 1MDB sovereign wealth fund. He spends $85 million on parties in a less than 12-month period. $85 million on parties and travel and booze. And it was all all stolen money. It's an incredible story how this guy pulled it off, and you should check it out. So The Billion Dollar Whale, highly recommend. And The Sea Wolves, for those of you that are into history. Roll Call, coming up. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Well, team, I have missed you so. It is great to be back here in the Freedom Hut. Thank you for allowing me a bit of a breather there. I know that the guest hosts that we had were very well received, and people generally uh, were, were quite pleased, I think, with how that all turned out. So we will certainly keep Raheem and Ben and Harlan, as well as the godfather, Dr. Opelka. Uh, he's not a doctor, nor is he a godfather, but... Uh, Mike is going to be joining in on all that, too. So with that, I'm just happy to be back here with all of you and get a chance to do some roll call. Man, it's it's like I've it's like I've just been able to return home now. Good things. Good times, team. Brad writes, Happy New Year, Buck. Hope you had a great holiday and got some rest. (laughs) Yeah, Brad, I I think I just slept for three days straight at one point. I just wanted to know how much I wanted you to know how much I enjoyed all your guest hosts, especially Ben Weingarten. I think if we could get our young up-and-comers and those interested in politics to take a moment and listen to people like you and Ben, this world would be a much better place. I know you try to avoid the whole global warming topic, but I thought you might enjoy reading Bjorn Lomberg's The Skeptical Environmentalist. It's an older read from 2001, but I found it very enlightening. Thanks again for a great show, and I wish you all the best in 2019. Brad. Well, Happy New Year to you, Brad, and thank you for your kind message. I'll pass along your uh, kudos to my friend Ben Weingarten. I've known Ben for, gosh, I don't know, five or six years now. We go back quite a ways uh, to when we were both at The Blaze. Um, but he's a, he's a great guy, very sharp, very uh, insightful fellow. And I'm glad that he did such a good job here when he was guest hosting. And Brad, in terms of getting the word out to the conservative youth, please tell any young conservative, this goes for all of you listening, please tell any young conservatives you know, hey, have you downloaded the Buck Sexton Show? It's a podcast you can download anytime you want on iTunes. Listen anytime you like. 
You can also listen on the iHeart app. Uh, so it's really easy for anybody to listen whenever they want to listen. And I hope you can spread the word. Julie writes, happy birthday, Buck. I heard you mention you have a birthday uh, or did so hope. It was great. I had a birthday the 21st. Can't have you. Can't wait to have you live again. Shields high. Well, Julie, thank you. And it's great to be back live with all of you. And I'm just uh, thankful to be still going strong here on radio. 37 years young. 37. Man, I'm, as Miss Molly calls it, uh, I'm the oldest 37-year-old she knows, which is true. Uh, I'm, I, I'm starting to get creaky bones. I really do. You know, I know everyone has their New Year's resolution about getting back into shape. I'm going to find the energy to get back to the gym. I, I, I have not been lazy. I've just been overtired. There's a difference, right? Overtired is... Uh, is when, or sorry, lazy is, oh, I finished work at five. I got there at, you know, 9.30 this morning and I just sat at a desk and now I just want to watch TV and don't want to go to the gym. That's me being lazy. Overtired is I've been up since 5 a.m. I finished radio at 9 p.m. and I have not a lot of time in between. Uh, I can't go to the gym. So I'm going to try to overcome that. This That's one of my resolutions for this year. I've got a few of them, but that's definitely one of them. Adam writes, I'm wondering, in relation to the border, could we resurrect the privateer's license to secure the border and add much-needed incentive to stay home? By the way, happy birthday. Um, privateer's license, you mean essentially set up the border like for bounty hunters to grab illegals who cross? That's interesting. Would they be using force? That, I, that could get very tricky very quickly. But uh, at least you are you are thinking outside the box, Adam. And for that, uh, I give you thanks. Carolyn writes, better start practicing your Elizabeth Warren voice. It's a different screech than Hillary. Happy New Year. Well, I, I was a Harvard law professor and I, you know, I just want the redistribution of wealth. And uh, I've got to find a way to kind of get into She has a there's a faint Midwestern twang, but it's mostly just her her unpleasant screech that that comes to mind uh i'll have to think if i can do a, a really good elizabeth warren impression that doesn't just sound like a hillary redux hello um but we'll see um i will uh, keep that one in mind you know i've never developed a trump impression and some of you asked me why that is i just think there are so many bad trump impressions out there that i don't want to fall into that category of being yet another dumpster fire of trump impersonation uh tia writes hi buck happy belated birthday i always love your show and love your high quality subs when you're not with us raheem is a favorite of course just listen to harlan's harlan show on podcast and his show was outstanding great guests had to pause it frequently to take notes but we still look forward to your return uh well tia um i i i like to have great fill-ins you know some in the radio business, there's uh, there's conflicting ideas in this, conflicting advice. And I, I will tell you that uh, some people take the opinion that they want to have um, people fill in for them that make the audience miss them. And this is a well, this is a longstanding, well-known radio trick. You know, it's like you always want your understudy to be a level or two below if you're the lead, if you're the star in the play. Uh, I don't take that approach at all i i want the best fill-ins that we can get on the show and that's why you know i'm, I'm, I'm trying to get new people involved and and have you and i listen to all of you all of your feedback uh, i want this 
this time and this, whether you're listening live, you're listening uh, on the on download the podcast after the fact, I want this to be something you look forward to, whether I'm here or not. Um, but hopefully a little more look forward to it when I'm here. Uh, that That's the plan. But I want you to like it no matter what. Uh, you know, a good example of this is I used to fill in, as you know, for uh, Rush Limbaugh. And I can tell you that to fill in for Rush is such an honor and is considered uh, such a fantastic opportunity and such exposure, such a good stepping stone for your career, that even to be a fill-in for Rush is very, very competitive. I know some of you are like, well, Buck, you know, you and Mark Stein and Eric Erickson and, and uh, you know, there, there are a few others that I'm sure come to your mind right away. Yeah, but for every for everyone who's me, Mark, or Eric, or, or anyone else who's filled in, there are 100 people that are hoping to fill in for Rush, that have pitched themselves to Rush's team, that you know are, are waiting in line to fill in for Rush. So I, I want that to be the vibe. And I will tell you that there are many more people that ask to fill in on this show than I'm able to uh, accommodate, it's especially in the last 12 months or so, because uh, you know now that it's in national, it was one thing when it was digital only, and but now that we're in national syndication and people have an understanding of how many individuals listen to this show live and on replay, uh, they want to they want to get to speak to all of you folks. D writes, "Happy birthday, Buck! Longtime listener. When are you coming back to the EIB microphone?" Well, D, speaking of the EIB, uh, there is a a longstanding policy of you, you can't be a rush fill in if you have your own syndicated show, which which I understand. I mean, really, if you think about it this way, it's. It's a way of saying, you know, if you're going to be a fill-in for Rush and you can promote the other things you're doing, that's great. But if you're going to fill in for Rush and you have your own show, you know, you're promoting it on his air. That's his audience. You know, I I, I understand why that's not something that's done. Um, so the answer is, as long as this show is going, I don't think I'll be back at the EIB microphone. But that doesn't mean that I'm not uh, constantly in contact with those guys. And, and I mean, I, you know, the, the EIB team, uh, Rush obviously at the head of it, are you know they are amazing and and i have nothing but nothing but love and respect for those folks uh britney writes hurry up and come back the freedom hut needs you britney thank you so much thank you it's very very kind of you um very nice of you to say and i'm glad to be back jennifer whoa quite a long message here hello and happy birthday buck i hope you're enjoying your birthday and the holiday season with some well-deserved r&r I'm sure you've heard by now about the Newman, California law enforcement officer, Corporal Singh, who was shot and killed at 1 a.m. on December 26th. This was the town I grew up in. When I was there, mostly in the 80s, it was practically Mayberry, an Andy Griffith show reference. The population was about 3,500. Now it's around 11,000. My grandparents owned a small restaurant there. There were no stoplights, no fast food chains, and the fire department was made up of volunteers. This little town is in the heart of California's agricultural valley. As you can imagine, there are many Mexican immigrant laborers that live there. Everyone that I know still lives or lived in Newman, and the small towns that surround it are just heartbroken by the loss of this law enforcement officer. He's the first to have been killed in the line of duty in Newman. I feel a sense of loss, even though I didn't know him. I pray for his young family. Buck, I've been listening to you since the real news days on The Blaze. I look forward to listening to you when you come back to your show. I hope you give the, this uh, topic the discussion it deserves. This is everything right now. The man arrested for killing Corporal Singh is an illegal alien with ties to this uh, Sereno gangs and has been busted for DUIs. Corporal Singh was a legal immigrant who did everything in the proper manner to become a citizen and a law enforcement officer. And that he was killed in this way is sickening. 
I listen to every one of your shows. I appreciate all you're doing. Shields high, Jennifer. Well, Jennifer, well said on all that. And, you know, it's, it is, uh, especially when you are from a community as tight-knit as the one you're talking about, and you lose a law enforcement officer, it, it rattles the whole community. People definitely have a sense of, of um, unease and anxiety and, and honestly a little bit of fear when that happens. Um, so I can understand why it's as upsetting to you as it is. And, and clearly this, the problem of illegal immigration, it's just going to continue until we force political consequences on the Democrats and some of the Republicans who are aiding and abetting this whole process. Donna writes, happy birthday, Buck. Mary Beth writes, happy birthday, Buck. Um, and, and Donna says it's the same birthday as her son. Um, I hope that in spite of the shocking loss of Bree, you had an awesome birthday. Enjoy your time off. I'm looking forward to your return. Love you. Original Saturday Squad, Donna. Well, Donna, thank you so much. Thank all of you. I got way more birthday messages than I can respond to here. Uh, but every single one of them was really appreciated. And uh, it, it meant a lot to read them. And that was... I just took a kind of a day of you know chilling uh on my birthday i did not really do anything particularly important so thank you so much for uh, writing to me and it made the day a lot more special than it would have otherwise been and uh that's going to be it for today wow another first show first show in of 2019 wow how time does fly um like i said tell somebody this year your, your resolution as a member of team buck is to get this month, one new person to download this show. That's all I want for Christmas, all I want for my birthday. And I'm telling you, we're going to be doing amazing things with your help. So just tell one person, each one of you listening to this, hey, The Buck Sexton Show, you should check it out. Download it on iTunes or listen to the iHeart app. And with that, my friends, until tomorrow and every day thereafter, Shields High.